Hi, and welcome to the Infinite Ritual Podcast, where we explore all things spirituality, healing, and authenticity. We learn how everything that we do in life becomes ritual, from our daily simple habits to our spiritual practices, and they help us embody the most authentic version of ourselves. We are here to raise our consciousness, honor our connection to the earth, and ultimately connect through belonging and community while we are here. So, welcome. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Infinite Ritual Podcast. So happy that you are here. If it is your first time tuning in, welcome. I'm your host, Caitlin McCarthy-Quinones. And here in this community, we like to talk all things authenticity first and foremost. And the way I define that word authenticity is who we are beneath all the layers of conditioning that we've been through and who we are when we express truly from an internal space of just genuine you-ness without the stigma of guilt and shame. And that's a lot to even unpack just within that concept itself. And it does relate to today's topic. If you are a returning listener, thank you so much for being here, my soul fam. I took a look at some of the numbers and I now consistently have like a general 25 person following per solo episode. So like holy crap, if I sat in a room every week with 25 people, that's amazing. I'm so, so grateful. That's so cool. Um, I never thought that when, you know, you have this conception about when you begin something and then the journey just grows and then you're like, oh, oh shit, I'm kind of going somewhere with this. I'm just letting it take me, honestly. If I analyze too much or get too into my system mind, I can just kind of clog up. And the way that this journey for me has been with articulation, my voice, expression, authenticity has been one of evolution and allowing myself to come up to themes that are rotating throughout my week, as well as what I feel as those collectively uh, passing through us all. And as we just kind of are stepping into spring, into summer, the heat rising, you know, like new awakenings within us can bring up a lot of terrain in our minds. And I know all of our minds are so unique and different. And that's what makes you, you and you beautiful person (laughs) listening to this. Um, you have a set of experiences of past experiences and interpretations and perceptions and subtleties and an energy and a code and a way of looking at the world and how interesting, how very interesting that we all have such a unique blueprint and that our mind is kind of the lens that we're filtering all of this experience through. 
So that's why today's topic is something that is very near and dear to my heart that I'm approaching so mindfully, ha, but I'm because it is developing a kind mind. And it's not an easy topic because although it sounds so simple, it's complex in its layers because going back to that idea of all, all of us having a very unique terrain, you know, like atmosphere of our minds, I can't, it's relative. I can't sit here and say that it's going to be easier for me to develop a kind mind than it is for you or vice versa. And it's not about depths of easiness, you know, but if we're truly going to talk about this theme of being authentic to yourself without the stigmas of shame and guilt and blame, then that really does require a level of kindness with oneself, you know, because I don't believe that kindness can be present if we're going to sit in our own cages of shame. Like it, shame is the opposite, you know, of kindness. It's, it's a self-inflicting, cruel sort of dark thing to navigate and necessary for our human experience. But at the same time, let's not sit in there, you know, let's not let that fester. So let's take us through the first point that I want to make with you, which is how does the voice of your inner critic speak to you? And I also like to use the inner critic synonymously with uh, the word The Predator, which is from Women Who Run With Wolves, the book by Dr. Clar Clarissa Pincola Estes, who I've mentioned before on this podcast and who I will probably always bring up because that's like the woman's Bible. I truly recommend reading it. Um, but the inner critic and the predator is the voice that kind of pops up harshly throughout the day with its judgments and perceptions about your own self and your life and how you should be doing XYZ. And a lot of the time this voice can reflect an authoritative voice that you've had in your life, or it could just generally be um your own, you know, judgments and what kind of tone does it take on? You know, what kind of tone does that take on? And I think the degree, the way that you can measure this almost is the degree to which you judge the outer world, other people, their experiences, and how much you do that. And like, again, developing this muscle of awareness of actually being mindful of what we're thinking and how we're thinking of people and how we're viewing their experiences. What tone is it taking? What judgments are we taking on? Right. Cause we have judging minds. Like that's what they do, you know, like designed to function, to pick apart, analyze and judge and perceive and form a conception. Like <laughs> if we know that's what it does, how can we, utilize it for our own well-being so that it's not keeping us in that cage. So using that measurement tool, that the degree to which we judge others in our outer experience is probably equal to the degree that you are judging your own internal 
life experiences, whether that is in your physical appearance or where you live or how you live or how you eat or how you exercise or how you work or how you move or how you how you breathe like we really can get so critical you know when we embark on our healing spiritual journeys we can get very critical of ourselves because we want to improve and almost taking on this this dangerous sort of tone when the need to improve and heal becomes saturated with perfectionism and that harsh inner critic voice, you know, and that predator mind that can pop up. So become familiar with the way that inner critic speaks and become familiar with its patterned routines because our mind also thinks in patterns throughout the day, you know, from the time you wake up, what's the first general thought that you're giving to yourself about yourself or your day or what you're looking ahead to. And even being aware is that of like, oh, is my first thought controlled by my inner critic and the predator mind? And and just bringing an awareness first and a curiosity to, to that voice of who's speaking here. And that's so important because then you'll begin to notice just everything. And that can be a lot. That can just be very um, overstimulating. So I also recommend while you're doing this is to just be really tuned into the senses, what you can see and taste and feel and touch and hear and um, utilizing your senses to continually bring you back into the room, scan the room with your eyes, do a little 360 degree turnaround, take a look at the colors and the shapes, you know, um, while you are navigating that internal terrain of your mind of what am I judging right now in someone else? How might that judge the way that I'm viewing myself? Like, what does that have to do with me? Because how we view others and the extent to which we're willing to understand others is equated to the extent that we're willing to go into that intimacy and that relationship with ourselves. And it can be so vast and it can be so daunting and scary to show up to yourself and say like, yes, I am here to get to know you. <laughs> I am not going to criticize you. I am just wondering what is going on up there. What are we thinking and why? Um, a lot of this for me has been inspired lately by, I've been doing a ton of reading, but one of the um, readings that I've done recently is Byron Katie, Loving What Is. It's doing the work and it's, really based on judging others and how we want them to be in order for us to be happy and paying attention to that language that we use to then ask a series of self-inquiry questions about like, that's not reality though. Like, why do I need this person to be that way to make me happy? Really, I need to give whatever I'm judging in them to myself and to my own mind to make me happy, you know? So, okay, let me do, oh, let me do an example. Okay. There's that, but there's also your own self 
judgments and beliefs that you can work these four questions through. So let's say I was going along with a self-judgment of, um, uh, I don't have what it takes to be consistent. Let's say that is a self-judgment I was sitting with. And by the way, underneath that self-judgment, you can hear the perfectionist chord in me saying that as well, right? You need to be consistent to be of value, <laughs> to be a person in the world. You need to be a robotic, consistent human being serving high quality things at all times. Whew, baby. Anyway, I digress. Um, if that <laughs> If that is a judgment I'm sitting with, with myself, which is a very real one, I would take it through the process of inquiry. First, I would write down that judgment and that belief. And I would ask, is it true? You know, is it true that I don't have what it takes to be consistent? And I might answer, you know what? Yeah, it's true. I don't have what it takes to be consistent. Um, the second question would be, can you absolutely know that that's true? And I might be like, uh, actually, you know what? I don't know if that's completely true. Like I could have what it takes to be consistent. I've been consistent in the past, so I could be consistent now, you know? The third question after, is it true? Can you absolutely know that it's true? The third one is how do you react and what happens when you believe that thought? So just really closing your eyes and witnessing the feelings and the sensations and behaviors that arise when you actually believe that thought. Um, and how do you treat yourself really when you believe that thought? Do any like obsessions begin to appear when you think that thought? Do any patterns begin to arise when you think that part thought? Well, for me, if I believe I don't have what it takes to be consistent, if I start telling myself that sitting in that self-judgment, I feel like shit, number one. <laughs> It doesn't feel good. I feel like a sense of lack. I feel like a sense of unworthiness and I might spiral into all sorts of different narratives. Um, and that might result in me procrastinating or putting things off or not believing that I could um, show up or uh, yeah, all sorts of side narratives can spill just from that one, right? So paying attention to those that's the third one. How do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? And the fourth one, which is what I love the most, is who would you be without that thought? Closing your eyes and return to the situation and taking a moment to reflect and observe and experience it again and just thinking like, okay, who would I be without the thought that I don't have what it takes to be consistent? Um, and then after going through that process, turning it around and turning the phrase around in a way that tries to make a statement that's as true or truer than the original thought. So I could say something like, um, my mind needs what it takes to be consistent in its way of thinking clearly. You know, that's like what it comes down to because we could, we could keep projecting it outward, whatever the 
thought is like, I don't have what it takes to be consistent. And now outwardly I'm not following through or I'm not paying as close attention to things. And I continue to spiral down these narratives, or I can say, oh, I need the consistency of my thoughts to be, to be aware of my thoughts. Like literally that's the consistency that I need to come back to and think about. That's what really matters. And then everything else falls into place. So that that's, I found really helpful for, you know, myself, but there's so many, um, there's so many other guides and, and spaces that you could seek as resources, um, for developing a kind mind. I mean, this goes back as far as like the past four years of my life of studies and readings. And, oh my gosh, one of my favorites is Pema Chodron. Um, she has a series of books as well, um, but just on the Buddhist concept of loving kindness and living with fear. And um, yeah, she has two really great books, uh, When Things Fall Apart and The Places That Scare You. If you're interested in this kind of work, I would recommend those as well. But overall, this concept of developing a kind mind also we have to take a look at like, what are we avoiding, you know, like what's something that we're avoiding that we know could be good for us or what's something that we're avoiding that we don't want to admit to ourselves because what we avoid typically is what owns us. And it's what's subliminally carrying a charge to so much of our actions and the way that we view ourselves and, um, just the general static of the mind. <laughs> Avoidance is really like very interesting. Um, I kind of picture like the concept of sitting in a movie theater and let's say we're sitting in a movie theater and you get to look at the screen and let's say the screen represents your consciousness and what you want to play on it and what you're paying attention to. And really it's, it's like you're in the movie of your life. You know, you have a choice about what to project up onto that screen and what to pay attention to. And a lot of the time we want those things to be pleasant and we want those experiences to be joyful and we want those experiences to, um, yeah. And that's okay, obviously, but if it's at the cost of avoiding something that is asking for attention, whether that's a past, you know, unhealed part of you from when you were nine years old and you had your voice silenced, and that's why you're not trying to make new friends to this day, you know, but you're avoiding that aspect of yourself. Well, yeah, we could continue to seek out roots of of pleasure at the cost of avoiding aspects that need our attention, but those things are always going to continue to charge our self-judgments and limitations of our own authenticity and sharing. So we all live with this too. So I think such a big fear that we all have is that like other people don't have 
types of neurotic fears that I have and I'm alone in this. And that's so far from the truth, you know, um, I think bravely being able to sit in the vulnerability of knowing your, your own individual fears, yes, feel very daunting when you're sitting there in it and it seems like it's all on you. But there's also the understanding that this is a collective, like human experience and no one has it all together. So many of us have no idea what we're doing, making things up as best as we can and doing the best as we can as we go. And we're all tripping over these cycles of difficulty and complexity. But ultimately, I just, I don't believe that we're here to suffer. So I also don't mean like when you're sitting in that analogy of like the movie theater and what you're projecting onto the screen. And if you just want it to be pleasure, there's, there's that, but I don't like, that doesn't mean that I believe that we're here to suffer either. So there's a fine tuned balance. It's not avoiding the negative feelings and judgments and harsh perceptions, but it's changing our relationship to them. Okay. So that when the the harsh inner critic or the predator mind does pop up, it doesn't lead you down such a path of darkness because you're just letting it trip you through all those spirals of confusion. Instead, it's like you're building a muscle that says, okay, I'm witnessing this, but I'm not, I know my mission here on earth is not to suffer. I am not here to suffer. So yeah, like build a power of your own faith that is so much stronger than that inner critic. Build the relationship so that when it pops up, you know how to take care of yourself through it because you're strong and you're capable and you're able and you're flexible and you're dynamic and you're able to hold this, you know, you're able to hold yourself through this experience. And in that way, now you're not avoiding it. Now you're walking beside it, but you're also not letting it drive you down, you know? Sit with that for just a moment because we are going deep, but it truly is that practice, consistent practice from when you wake up to when you go to sleep. And I know that sounds like a job, (laughs) but you have to live with you. You have to live with your mind, no one else. And it's for good reason because when your faith and the kind self becomes stronger than doubt and the inner critic and the harsh judge and the predator, then you can really begin to unfold in your authenticity and not feel so much shame for even having these fears or judgments. You know, sometimes I think so many of us 
try to sugarcoat or put our glossiness over the judgments we have of others. We're like, but we have them, you know, because we're human. <laughs> but we're like, I'm not a bad person. So, you know, like, I'm not going to think that about them. I, I'm terrible for thinking that. I'm such a horrible human being for thinking that. What's wrong with me? I must be sick. I must be terrible. I must be a terrible human for thinking that about that person. Like, that's like the weird kind of other layer of this egoic judgment coming in. <laughs> And it's tricky because it's the same one in the same. It's like the same voice of, of shame. Now you're shaming yourself for your own experience of judgment, right? Um, Benet Brown is a wonderful speaker, author, and researcher of vulnerability. And she describes shame as an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And I find that so fitting because it's true. Even in our sitting with hating ourselves for judging others and ourselves, we are shaming ourselves. We don't believe, you know, we don't believe that we are beautiful beings in that moment with it, we're the opposite. We're like these, oh, don't look at me. I'm an ugly creature. I don't deserve love. I don't deserve anything good in my life ever. No one can, please, no one look at this. No one look at this. I'm, you know, it's like ugly swamp creature comes crawling out of the swamps and just is like, who is this? Oh, this isn't me. This isn't me. Oh my God, the drama. <laughs> but it's true though. Like we, oh, Oh my gosh, the ickiness of it, of the shame creeps in and just like really paying attention and just being like, wait, no, I don't have to feel shame for this. This is a very human experience I'm having and that's okay. I'm completely safe in this experience just because I'm judging myself or judging others I don't have to shame myself for that and add another layer of judgment and perfectionism to it, you know? Developing a kind mind really comes down to unshaming the process of your own thinking and creating a space to actually listen to everything without judging it and allowing like a larger essence to come through of witnessing and acknowledging the pain that is there and that though you feel pain, um, it is a choice for how you continue to relate to that pain. And that makes all of the difference in the world. It truly does. I can say it's still a journey for me. That's for sure. I used to relate to pain in very, you know, non-helpful, non-helpful ways. Um, utilizing your tools, whatever tools that you like to use, you know, whether that's journaling, singing, energy clearing, Reiki, astrology, work card reading, meditation, like do your thing, do the thing that you need to, 
therapy, man. I, I recommend do the thing that is going to support you through the development of being kinder to yourself. You know, it's so important. It helps us integrate and it helps us actually acknowledge and feel, feel the feelings, the feelings that are so, so stored in the fascia and the actual tissues and sinews of our bodies. So as you're developing a kind mind, let's keep that checklist in place, right? Awareness of first thought in the morning, who's driving, okay? Notice who's in the driver's seat. Don't judge the predator. It adds a layer of shame. That's like number two. Realize that utilizing your five senses to come back into the present moment when you're doing internal work is so important. You know, we don't want to just like live in the analyzation process, right? And the goal is creating a new relationship to whatever harshness that you might be sitting with and knowing that the kind self is like a muscle that can continue to build so that the next time these things pop up, you have less of an, an intense somatic experience with them. If you're feeling called to do the deep inner support with this work, um, I highly recommend coming into a one-on-one -on -one hypnosis session with me. We definitely go deep into these sessions to two hour long session with me. And I call it soul retrieval hypnosis because it truly is going back to all those parts and aspects of self that are kind of looping in these limiting past thoughts, beliefs, memories um, that is just very difficult to undo and un pull those threads on your own. So letting the subconscious, you know, we allow your subconscious to take us through the journey of going to these parts that, that your subconscious knows needs to be reintegrated. And there's a lot of emotional exploration and processing that takes place during that time. Um, it goes very deep to the root, I would say, which is why I love that modality of hypnosis so much. And if you feel called, go ahead and click the link in my bio and you'll find it there. If you're not ready to go on such a deep, intense journey like that just yet, keep an eye out because I'm going to be creating and posting insight timer free meditations for you to work with so you can get to know me, my pace, my voice to get kind of a taste of what it could be like to actually do a session with me. And that's like a nice easy access, free, open door way of um, continuing the work that you hear in my podcast into the real world. Because um, it's one thing to listen and take in information, and it's another thing to actually put it into work and context for yourself. So I'm excited about that. Keep your eye out for those. I am in the process of developing them. And if you like receiving things in your inbox, kind of 
contemplations, musings, collective readings, journal prompts, go ahead and sign up for my weekly Oracle letter, which you will also find in my show notes. Um, Lately, it's been more of a transmission when I feel a true thing that I need to translate that spirit is telling me should be translated to the collective versus like on the clock weekly thing. But each one I promise is like very tapped in. So if that's your thing, you can check that out as well. Also a free resource. Um, And yeah, I look forward to the next episode with you guys tune back in. If anything stuck out from you from this episode, please reach out to me on Instagram and send me a DM infinite.ritual. Or if you want to be my best friend with it, just hit the five-star button on Spotify and or leave me a written review. I would absolutely love that. Okay. Wishing you all so much wellness. Thank you so much for tuning in from my kind mind to yours. Adios.